Welcome to the Behind the Movement podcast. I am Kyle Fincham. Thank you so much for listening and downloading and doing all the things. Um, I got a great conversation to share with you today that I had with Rod Cooper. Um, We did some creative scheduling to make this conversation happen because he is based in Australia. I'm in Colorado. So there's, you know, many, many time zones between us. So uh, we managed to find something that worked. And I'm so happy we did because um, it was a, a, a really great conversation. So I will share that with you in, in just a moment here. I just want to share uh, a couple of announcements first. The, the first one is, as I've said the last few weeks, I'll be teaching a special class on uh, Our Breath Collective, or for Our Breath Collective. Um, Reese Peluso, who I had on the podcast, uh, I think the previous episode, um, he's one of the founders of Our Breath Collective, and they invited me to teach a, a special class for their community. So if you want to get in on that online class, you can go to ourbreathcollective.com. It's on March 7th. It's 20 bucks. It's a 75-minute class. Everyone is welcome. And while you're there, you can check out um, some of the other things that they're up to, some of their other special events and their daily um, breath practice that you can jump in on as well. So yeah, ourbreathcollective.com. Also, starting today and uh, Thursdays at 10.30 Mountain Time moving forward, um, I will be teaching uh, a class at Block 1750 here in Boulder, Um, also a 75-minute class. And yeah, I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, Alex Maluski, who I had on the podcast a few episodes back, is one of the founders, and he and I have been uh, jamming a little bit in the park from time to time and he invited me to to teach a regular class at the block so um yeah that's what i'll be doing today is my first one as this podcast is going out i think i'll be walking out the door to to go teach so if you're moving through the boulder area or if you're in the boulder area and uh you want to pick up what i'm putting down um you can go to block1750.com and you can sign up for the class uh, yeah, like I said, every Thursday, 10.30 a.m., that is where I will be. Um, also, if uh, if you're interested in some of the things I'm doing and you want to uh, participate on a regular basis, you can sign up for Movement Brooklyn online, and you can do that at movementbrooklyn.com or members.movementbrooklyn.com. We have, uh, you know, all the live classes, recorded classes, recorded content, monthly focuses all the the fun and interesting things so uh yeah you can check that out there and also if you're enjoying the podcast um do me a huge favor write us a review give us a little star rating on whatever platform you're listening on um i've heard it goes a long way in uh you know helping out the podcast so i really appreciate that let's get to uh my conversation with rod um like I said, um, we had to uh, do some creative scheduling because Rod is in Australia, but we actually crossed paths for the first time in Vancouver um, six years ago at a, at an Ido Portal workshop. And not long after that, he left for Australia and has since 
created the Movement Collective, which he's the owner and founder of. And we talk a lot about it in the podcast, but it sounds like it's, it's you know, grown into something that he never imagined it would grow into, but it sounds amazing and exciting. And um, I'm really looking forward to an opportunity to, uh, to travel to Australia and, and check it out. Um, yeah, it was really great. I'm, I'm so happy we got to, uh, to reconnect. Um, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. I think you're going to enjoy it as well. So let's not waste any time. Here it is, Rod Cooper. I injured my hip and I've just had knee surgery about two months ago. So I'm actually looking at different ways that I can kind of move in and out of ranges that I find in surfing because mm-hmm. at the moment it just doesn't feel comfortable at all. So mm-hmm. maybe some athletic leg, you know, from Fighting Monkey could be a good option. What was the injury? Uh, meniscus tear. Okay. Was it just like wear and tear? Or was there something like uh, there was specific? There bucket handle tear when I was uh, early 20s. It was a wakeboarding like accident. I was just jumping and I just kind of was, I think I was trying 180s. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, 180s on one side. And I was just jumping back to the other side. So because I was going backhand, I just jumped back over the wake and I was just fully relaxed and I just landed and just collapsed. And I was just mm-hmm. like, what is this? I was like 22 or something like that. And I couldn't move my knee. Like I couldn't straighten it. I couldn't flex it. And uh, yeah, ended up being a bucket handle tear of the meniscus. And I went through stages of rehabbing it over years and I was told to get surgery, but I didn't get surgery. I was like, no, no, I've got this. And it came good. And I was doing all my acrobatics and everything in Vancouver. That was when I was about 27. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a few years later, but then it would just come up. It would just flare up every now and then. And towards the end, like just before Christmas last year, it was swelling and locking like this big clunking sensation. And it would just put me on the ground. I was just done. I was like, all right, I need to get this stuff sorted. So I ended up booking to see a specialist and had surgery like a week after. So I think it's next week I've got my two-month post-op appointment. Wow. And is that kind of like after two months, you're kind of like free and clear? Well, it's there's still kind of pain in deep flexion. But when I went in a couple of weeks after, there was like a two-week post-op and then this two-month and he basically you know, I guess he treats a lot of people that are quite old and immobile and, you know, not really doing much movement. I basically walked in and he kind of moved it around. He's like, all right, see you later. I was like, I "I can't fully like uh, flex it. And he's like, yeah, just get out. He's like, (laughs) yeah, he's like, "Uh, you'll get it there. It'll be fine. Nice. And it's, it's there now. Like it's can almost fully flex at the moment, but there's still quite a bit of pain. So I haven't been able to go back to jujitsu and there's a few other positions that it just doesn't like, but I know that over time of like gradual exposure that it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I had a hernia surgery, so I had like a patch put in at one point, like a mesh patch. And it was a similar thing where it's like, you know, most, surgeons and doctors are used to dealing with people who are like aren't doing many things and it was kind of a similar situation where i'm like oh well i should should i be doing this should i be doing that and they're just like you're fine like yeah. you know it's the people who aren't moving around that like we need to be concerned yeah, about i need to give the exercises and stuff too yeah he didn't really give me too much he i remember i woke up from the surgery and i was still kind of like drugged out i just kind of just opened my eyes i had no idea where i was and he kind of walked over he was like he's like check out or whatever and then he was going to leave and he basically said yeah it all went well um what did he say oh you won't you'll never be able to deep squat again is what he said i was like oh 
and I was kind of just like laying there and then he just walked away. <laughs> I was like, can you give me more information? Like, did something go wrong or what happened? Yeah. Like, yeah, you'll never be able to deep squat again. I was like, all right, we'll see. Yeah. He's like, I'm it's like, so it's okay. Yeah. He's like, Hey, we chopped your leg off. I got to go to lunch. See you later. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> it's pretty amazing that you made it 10 years though, or so like with that injury and, and we were able to like, kind of continue to accomplish everything that you did or think makes Absolutely. me think of all the stories of like so many pro athletes who like, after they retire, they find out that they didn't have like an ACL or something like they had a full tear their entire career. And it's like, Oh, didn't even know you can yeah. move and adapt in pretty interesting ways. Yeah, my heart was in a different place. I think I just always wanted to kind of rebuild it. And there was definitely times where I was like, I was out, like I couldn't sit in a resting squat position and things like that. And I had to back off all the acrobatics and anything that was kind of aggravating it. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of the twisting. So like low, like low level kind of twisting movements, mm-hmm. uh, all the flow work and things like that, where you kind of pivot on the ground and then and the foot stays steady, but the knee twists, those mm-hmm. movements there, that were just pretty excruciating, but again, it would come good and it would be good for like 12 months and then it would flare up again. But then it started to get more and more consistent. I was like, ah, oh, this is, yeah, it's, it's not happening. We need to get this sorted out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's like you, you go into it after having something for 10 years and you have like such a different perspective in like the approach, right. Cause you've kind of like moved with it, you've managed it, you've tinkered with it. And you're like, probably give some ideas of how you want to approach coming back on like the the rehab as opposed to just like oh there's pain and i'm going in and getting this addressed immediately you're like oh i've had some experience around this and know kind of how i want to like tiptoe around it exactly yeah so i didn't it wasn't my first decision to uh to get surgery obviously they told me to do it when i was 22 and i ended up like how old am i like 36 Mm -hmm. so yeah quite a while yeah even leading into it, I knew that I had to keep it as strong as possible doing the movements that weren't as painful. So I was doing um, the ATG program. So just their kind of like zero program. So I was just like, like Patrick step downs and like really low level CC squats and things like that, just to keep loading it up and moving it as much as I could, knowing that I was going to get surgery and I was going to, that's going to be helpful for the rehab process. Obviously, if you get it as strong as possible, as mobile as you can leading into it, I didn't just kind of sit back and, you know, I'm in a little bit of pain. So I'm just going to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm going to find, you know, what it can tolerate and kind of, you know, just keep moving in that direction. And it definitely paid off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see kind of like what it looks like and feels like a a year or so down the road. Yeah. I'm thinking it's going to be good. He did say that there's like the the meniscus that's behind the knee. So when the knee's in like deep flexion, he said all of that meniscus is totally gone. I was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) that's not coming back. But I, yeah, I don't have pain in the right side in deep flexion. I think it's just, it just needs to kind of work its way back into position after being kind of locked up and jammed up for so long. I know that, yeah, within 12 months, it's, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's been pretty fast progress. What I, I want to backtrack just a little bit. So when I'm, when, when I, like I said, we didn't, I don't think we chatted, but we'd cross paths in Vancouver. You were living in Vancouver at the time. Yep. Is that where you're from originally? No, I'm from Newcastle, Australia. So it was, yeah, I was about 27 when I moved over there and I was over there for about two and a half years on a working holiday visa. Okay. So what, I was working as a brewer. Wait, say, sorry, say that again, where at? I was working as a brewer. I was making beer for a living. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, it was it was really cool. And I think the brewing industry, well, in Vancouver was just taking off. And I know that in the States as well, like the craft brewing industry was really booming at the time. So it was just a really exciting time to be over there and see all these new breweries open up and to have all these connections. And we're doing events up in Whistler and traveling to, I think we went to Kelowna one time as well. Like it was just, it was just an amazing experience to be a part of that industry. And is that what brought you out there or did you get out there and then discover that industry? Yeah. So I was working as a brewer for about four years before that here in Australia, down Mm -hmm. on the central coast. And I knew that I wanted to work in that industry going over there, but that wasn't the sole reason of me traveling to Vancouver. It was just to start a new adventure. Mm-hmm. That was kind of it. I didn't really have anything tying me to Australia. So I was like, all right, I sold my car. I had a good job at the time, but I'm like, all right, we can do this. So I just spoke with one of my mates, Sean, and we're like, all right, let's do this. Let's get our working holiday visas. And it came in like a couple of months. And then we found ourselves in Vancouver. Wow. What a, I mean, I, that's the only time I've ever been there, but I, I hold a Canadian passport and my wife was born in Toronto, but everybody, you know, obviously there's like this like thing between Toronto and Vancouver and she has family in Vancouver and they're always like, it is the, one of the best places, like at least on this continent to live. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, you really I like it's been voted the best place to live. Like, I don't know who's, like judging this, but I, I saw that come up a bunch of times. It's Melbourne in Australia and Vancouver. I think Melbourne came second or whatever, but Vancouver wins it all the time. Like it's such an amazing city. It really wow. Is. Yeah. I mean, I'm tempted, especially with the way like COVID is now. I'm like, I don't know. We've got these passports. Maybe we should just uh, head North. Go. Yeah. Yeah. The movement scene's quite good there. Like the place that I was training at origins is just amazing. More of a parkour style gym, but they've got, uh, they've got like a swung floor and, so there's like trickers and hand balances and circus artists and things like that as, as well. So that's, yeah, that's a nice place to hang out. So was it there like during that time where you got kind of like in the, in the deep end of the movement scene? Definitely. Yeah. I didn't really know much about it at all before I came mm-hmm. and I just started to kind of do the digging as you would you know, know, mm-hmm. uh, just going through YouTube and just discovering all these different uh, teachers. And that's where I discovered Ido Portal. And then I found out he was coming to Vancouver and I was just like blown away. I was like, this is awesome. This is all just falling into place. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so I took the Movement X workshop, like I said before, that was the first kind of exposure. And I think at that point, I realized that this is what I wanted to do. And what, and what was your, like your performance or athletic background before that? Was it just surfing? Surfing and just going to the gym, just doing, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to look good. That was it. Yeah. Just bodybuilding style training. I actually did a little bit of CrossFit as well. So that kind of, I guess that was the initial stage of me just like trying to, or jumping down that rabbit hole of YouTube and, and doing different workshops and training at Origins. That was kind of the door that kind of opened up for me to look at gymnastics strength and do handstands. So I was, I was practicing a little bit of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really gravitated towards that rather than the weightlifting and the high intensity workouts and the running. It was more of the body weight type skills, mm-hmm. maybe because I was maybe better at those things initially. That was a big draw card for me. I was like, all right, I'm like pretty good at this. And, you know, with CrossFit, it's, it's really hard because I'm... I'm like 70 kilos and I was up against guys that were like 90 kilos, hundred kilos. And there's like that RX weight. Have you done much CrossFit? Have you done it? Yeah. I, I, I coached CrossFit for a little while. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are time where, times where you're like, 
man, I can like turn and burn, but like, I'm probably about the same weight as you. And some yeah. of those RX weights, you're like, that's just impossible. And I tried to do it. The thing was like, all right, I can do this. Even though these guys are so much heavier than me and stronger than me, you kind of in that environment where you push that hard that you're just like, no, no, I can do it. And you, you convince your mind that you can do it, but your body just can't keep up. And yeah. I just couldn't keep up. I actually had a little back injury just before I went over to Vancouver. I kind of rehabilitated it and it was okay. But yeah, just doing huge, huge deadlifts within a, within a workout and just so fatigued and just pushing way beyond my actual limits. But like I said, like my mind was like, no, I can do this. But my body was like, no, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> it's interesting at that time. And I think it's changed and, and maybe it was kind of specific to this kind of part of like the movement scene, but CrossFit was like a big gateway drug mm-hmm. for people kind of crossing over into movement. And like I said, maybe it was specific to this scene because it was very gymnastic centric, but I feel yeah. like that has since changed a little bit. Like it's not quite as much of like the CrossFit jumping over into like the movement scene. It's a little more of like dancers and martial artists and people coming from like, I always call them like counterculture practices, like surfing, skateboarding, like people who, I don't know, that's who I almost see a little bit more of coming into like that, that scene. Yeah. I definitely noticed that as well. I hadn't really thought about it up until now, but yeah, I, and I saw that when I had the the business opened up the, the gym. I had a few people from CrossFit seeing what we're doing and, and knowing that what I can teach and, and what we're offering can help them with CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I thought in my mind that, yeah, maybe these people will come over and just get bought into the movement practice. But a lot of them are so dedicated to CrossFit that that never happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's really interesting that, yeah, that's exactly what's happening from like dancers or people that used to be ex gymnasts. We get a lot of people that haven't done gymnastics for like 20 years and they see what, what, like what we're doing and they're like, okay, like I can, I can give this a go again. I haven't done it for a while, but, and those people always do so well. If they've got a background in gymnastics mm-hmm. and even if they haven't done it for 20 years, they're just instantly weapons. Yeah. I also find that the people who come from those scenes are more open to like the game of failure they welcome failure and like tinkering and trial and error. Whereas because CrossFit is kind of so in the world of fitness and maybe, I don't know if it's different in Australia, but here it's just like, it's that it's so fitness centric that there's like this, this fear of failure, even though there's like a competition element, it's still being like, well, these are the movements. These are like the, the 20 movements that we do. And like, I'm going to be competent at those. And, and I just want to like keep going up and up and up as opposed to being like, how do I keep finding ways to be like a white belt? Whereas, I think it is because it's a competition. <laughs> That's why. It's because they're always comparing themselves to other schools and other people that, yeah, the movement practice doesn't really have that. Well, the way that we teach it, there's no real competition. It's like you show up, you train as a group, everyone's got their individual kind of intentions leading into the practice, but mm-hmm. we're not directly comparing to someone else. Right. It's like the difference between doing jujitsu for competition and doing jujitsu as like a practitioner or a player or a hobbyist, because you're more well open to being like more playful and taking different approaches. And you're trying to learn a lot of different things. But when you're trying to win, it's like, I need to come up with like my game and get deep in that groove. Yeah. You put, you, you put pressure on yourself. You've got something on the line when there's a competition, maybe it's your ego or whatever, but you put something on the line. Whereas with my movement practice, I'm not doing that. I'm just showing up. And if I fail, well, then it's okay. I just pick it up and go again. Yeah. Juggling is a good example. I love juggling. And it's something that's been a massive part of my practice for the last 12 months. And 
that teaches you how to fail. Like within a session, I could fail like a thousand times. Mm-hmm. So it's like this huge amount of failure. You just have to pick it up and go again. You never just beat yourself up about it or, you know, cry that you drop the balls. You just keep going. And I think that that's a really good lesson for people to learn and juggling such an easy way for people to kind of get into it. Cause it doesn't really require you to build mobility or strength. It's basically just building these patterns uh, in your mind or in your body. And it, you just see this huge and fast progress from that constant failure. Right. And you, 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 you welcome seeing the balls fall more. I mean, like yeah. that, that, that comfort with failure maybe is like transferable into like other things as you approach it. Definitely. Yeah. It's like more of a lesson. You're like, okay, I wasn't wide enough with my hands or I threw them too direct or you just take the lessons each time and you take those little insights from your failures or your lessons and you just do better next time. Yeah. So at what point did you decide that you were done brewing beer, which is awesome, unless you're not done brewing it, you're welcome to keep brewing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when did, when did you decide like, oh, like I, I, I'm done brewing beer and I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to, I'm going to teach or I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make this other thing my life. I would say it was after that movement X workshop. Really? Wow. Yeah. And that was my first exposure to, anything like that. I hadn't been to a workshop like that, but I think I was just so blown away by the way that it was taught. And I was just so inspired by those teachers that I wanted to do that. Even though I didn't have any of the answers or any of the knowledge or even close to what these guys had, I was, there was something inside of me. It's like this intuition, this like gut feeling that this is where I need to be. And I still can't explain it to this day but it was just like this, this feeling that I had that's like, all right, this is the path that I'm going to go down. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Like I didn't have this crazy business plan drawn out for TMC and know that it was going to become what it is today. I just knew that I wanted to go down this path and I was just trusting that it was going to work out. Wow. So then what, it, so then what did those couple years look like past that? I mean, was it like a real deep dive into like training and practice? Yeah. Yeah. So the two years that I spent in Vancouver was basically me training all the time, taking as many workshops as I could. I had two mentors there as well who were already teaching some sort of movement. Another guy, Anthony, owned a CrossFit gym. Oh, Anthony, Anthony, who owns uh, Engineer Bodies. Oh man. I, I love Anthony. He's so good. So yeah, I would, I would actually go out there every Friday and I paid him for this like mentorship. He hadn't done it before, but I'm just, I basically presented this idea to him and said, all right, I want to become a coach and you're going to teach me how much do I need? How much do I need to pay you? I'm going to get on the bus from where I was living in Vancouver. It was about an hour to Port Moody. I think the place was Mm -hmm. so an hour and I'd be reading books and, and this is the first time in my life that I was really like just driven for something, you know, like before that, it almost felt like I was just kind of just cruising through life on autopilot with no real plans or no purpose, no passion. And I was just like, just so focused on becoming a movement teacher. So yeah, I would head out and see him and he would teach me about how to run classes, how to program, how to assess people. He had, uh, I can't remember which one it was, but he had some sort of movement assessment teaching one-on-ones, teaching group classes. He just taught me all the things that I needed to know, basically. Wow. And did you start teaching classes there? Yeah. So I was just backing, it was almost like shadowing his classes. And then he would get me to teach like maybe the warm-ups or go around and spot people just so I could get used to being in front of people and coaching them. I remember when we went out there and meeting him and 
I realized I was like, oh, this is a CrossFit gym, but it's not a CrossFit gym. You know, like he it was thinking on another level and was having workshops come in from like all sorts of different, I think he had said that like GMB had just been there right before we were there. Yeah. And yeah, I just really dug what he was all about because it was like, it wasn't like CrossFit do or die. It was almost like, it was as if he knew that the CrossFit brand would bring people in and then he could teach them all the things that he wanted to teach them. Yeah. That was just my impression, but that's what it, it seemed like. Yeah, I think that's, that's correct. Well, mm. from my point of view anyway, and he would, yeah, he would bring people in using CrossFit and then just show them all these other things. Like they didn't compete either. I mm-hmm. think they might've started like later on after I'd left, but I don't think that they had the competition element. And that's another thing that makes it like lends itself to the movement practice. Like we were saying before, it's kind of without the competition, you're kind of open to, to new ideas. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you're competing, you kind of like really solely focus on that. And there's a, you know, maybe there's a local competition coming up and everyone's training for that. They do the comp and they're always competing against each other. So I think that that was probably a big element in the way that he was presenting his classes and the way that he structured his gym. But it was, it was really cool. I was so inspired by him because it was, yeah, it's just so open and open to new ideas and open to new people coming in to teach. So yeah, he was so, a big inspiration. So then was the plan always around that time to be like, like, did you know that your visa was going to expire at some point and that you were going to have to leave? And then if that was the case, like, were you like, oh, like when I get back to Australia, I'm, I'm opening a school or something? Yeah. Yeah. So I can't remember when exactly it was, but like I said, I was heading out to Port Moody. I was doing this other mentorship and I was training all the time. So I'd finish work. I would, I think I started about six o'clock in the morning. So I'd catch the bus out, go to the brewery, which was in Burnaby. I would work until two o'clock. And basically there was the last six months I was like on the computer while I was brewing, I was on the computer doing my cert three and cert four in fitness. So I was able to, you know, teach group classes. So I was on there doing this and doing my work at the same time. And I was always reading books, always had like a podcast in my ear, an audio book. And I was just all in. I was just learning everything that I could because I knew that my visa was expiring at a certain time after that two year period in Vancouver. And I knew that I wanted to come back and just hit the ground running. So I did everything in my power to get everything going. I created a brand. I had like the Instagram, the Facebook accounts. I was posting my practice and started to do some like little tutorial videos, but it was mostly around like, here's, you know, where I'm at. And I kind of shared my journey from, you know, arriving in Canada and my development from taking these workshops and doing my own practice and just kind of showing the the process that I went through to go to where I was currently at. And that really was super helpful because when I came back, I had generated all of this interest. So when I landed back in Australia, I already had actually, before I landed, I had two people buy like a five session one-on-one package with me. And I hadn't taught anyone before. (laughs) Crazy. I was like, what am I doing? What have I got myself into? But I just trusted that I was so passionate about teaching and sharing what I had learned on that journey in Vancouver that it didn't matter. I was like, I was just going to turn up. I was going to find a place to train out of, and I was going to teach everyone what I knew. And then that was the main thing. And that's why it worked out because I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make lots of money and it's going to be this huge empire and all of this. It was just like, I just want to share what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like, so you were like driven by passion. Yeah. 
Yeah. It always makes me think of this quote and I don't know if it, it's fitting. Um, there's this guy, Christopher Titus. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a, he had a, he was a comedian or maybe he still is a comedian, but he had a TV show called Titus. And I saw him do his one man show live when I was in college. And at one point he's talking about people like, uh, you know, like people who become like leaders. And he was like, you know, you can be normal and the crowd will accept you. But if you're deranged, they'll make you their leader. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, sometimes when I hear people hear deranged, I'm like, oh, that means they're crazy. And I'm like, no, deranged means like, you know, like you're you're like the next level of like passion or like charisma or like, you know, I'm going to be like doing the things that like most people would be like, well, that's a little like outside of the box. So just the idea that you're like, I'm landing and I've got two people who want to do stuff and I've never trained them, but I don't care. Like, let's go for it. Like to me, that's that like, yeah, like I'm going to be deranged. Yeah, it was a little crazy. I think back to it, and I'm like, and I did have a business model, so I did draw up the plan to teach one on ones. That's what I wanted to do, and in my view at the time, or my perception was like, I'm just going to teach one on ones, and then that's my business model. I'll get a small little studio; it's all good. And then two weeks into opening, after teaching those two guys a couple of sessions, I put it out there and said that I wanted to teach a workshop. And I ended up having 20 people come to my first workshop two weeks into starting. Wow. Yeah, it was insane. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what have I got myself into? This is crazy. And then I think another two weeks passed, I did another workshop, another 20 something people turned up. And at that point, I realized that there's interest and not everyone can do one-on-one. So I didn't want to just exclude a whole bunch of people just to do more expensive one-on-one sessions with people. I wanted to open it up to the broader community And that was the best decision that I made because now that I see how important it is that of, you know, how important community is to bring people together and get them acting as a group, get them playing, get them moving, get them sharing their wins and, you know, just bringing everyone up. Like it was just such an amazing decision and it wasn't planned out like that. It was just kind of something again that I felt into and I was like, okay, this is, this is the way, like, this is the, the way that the direction that we need to go in as well as doing one-on-ones and workshops and all the other things. So then when did you get like a space? And, and then if I'm, I followed your stuff on Instagram, I know you're, I think you're in your, like your second space. You have like a something bigger. Is that right? Third. Wow. So <laughs> What, I mean, what was that? How did that kind of come about? Like, it was like, okay, I need a space. And then when was it like, oh, I need, when did you decide I need more? I need bigger. Yeah. Uh, so the first space came about, I had a friend who was doing personal training and he was working out of a, at a facility in Wickham. And it was a huge facility. It was like 50, uh, no, sorry, 500 square meters. So it was a big facility. They were doing kind of bodybuilding style training and one-on-ones. And they also had a boot camp in there as well, but they had a rig and they had some floor space. So I basically just messaged him before I came back from Vancouver and said, Hey, I'm just going to start up this little program. It's called the movement collective. I'm going to teach one-on-ones and I just need to use a little bit of your space. Like I'm happy just to be in the corner and just use like one section of the rig. And he was like, yeah, cool. Just give me $250 a week and you can rent the space. So that's how it all started. And progressively, as we started to put classes on, like I, I put a class on say Monday and, and then we put one on Wednesday and over the weeks and the months, we just started to add more classes. And eventually we came up with a schedule that had classes in the morning and in the afternoon. And those, they started to fill out. 
because of the, the marketing, the advertising that I was doing, showing my journey, showing what people were doing in classes, showing the fun that they were having. And yeah, it just slowly started to build from there. So we got to a point where we needed to move out of that space because we were starting to take up too much. Like we started in the corner and then we just slowly started to, to spread out and it was like these people crawl, like doing lizard crawls and handstand walks and, and just taking up, you know, more of the space than we kind of agreed on in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I knew at that point that we need to start looking for a facility. And so we actually found one that was, it was a block away, which was amazing. It was like this Wiccans, this like little industrial area with all these little warehouses. And the, the new space that we found was about 200 square meters, really long, skinny place. If, if you've been following the Movement Collective, it was the place with the white walls with all the artwork and stuff on the walls. So we had to buy a rig and we had to get all the equipment. So I just slowly started to build up. I bought some boxes and bands and rings and yeah, it was go time. So we signed a lease and we ended up moving into that place before the first year was up. And, how, and, and like how many people were like coming and taking class with you at that point? not that many maybe we had 20 to 30 people like solid members so we had i created a membership and that's changed dramatically as well like i had 10 class passes and just drop-ins and then we come up with a membership and certain days and specific classes like all of it has changed so much over the last six years it's just insane i haven't been able to just like come up with a plan and just kind of move with it and grow and just keep building that. It's like this plan works for about six months. And then I've got to literally just throw that in the bin and come up with something new and exciting and something that's going to work because what's the saying, like what, whatever got you to here is not going to get you to here, like to that next level. And I definitely felt that in creating the business and over the last six years, those peaks and troughs, like you get to a certain level in the business and then you have, you know, you have to dip down and something has to break before you can start to go back up. And I've definitely felt that, that kind of uh, trajectory over the, over the years. But yeah, we got this facility and it was amazing to have our own space because even though the facility that we were at before, that was so different to what we were doing. They were doing boot camps and things like that. It actually, like, it started to get to me at one point. I'm like, I'm watching them doing this like circuit of like, you know, cleans and kettlebell swings and all these things and just like terrible form. And I was just like, oh, so I'd just be cringing every day watching what they were doing. And, and it started to be like, all right, I just need to not expose myself to that anymore. And we need to get our own facility where we can do our own thing. Obviously they, yeah, they probably thought we were weirdos as well. Like, in, they've got big mirrors at the back of the facility and we're they're all there just doing like spinal waves and doing all these circles and doing these like contact improv games. So they probably would have just thought that we were the biggest bunch of weirdos. That's how it felt when I was teaching at the CrossFit gym. Cause in the beginning, it, like I said, it was so gymnastic centric. So when I was teaching my class, it was like the familiar things. It was like, Oh, we're doing muscle ups and handstand pushups. And then people were, you know, CrossFit class are going on at the same time. And they're like, Oh, that looks very similar. And then all of a sudden, you know, fast forward like a year and like the muscle ups happen once in a while, but then we're kind of like dancing and play fighting and all these things. And that's going on at the same time as a CrossFit class. And they've got like, you know, whatever, like Metallica blasting. And we're there just like, you know, <laughs> doing our thing. And, and everybody's like, what the hell is that? And I felt a, a similar thing to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it can, you know, they, there's so, so many similarities between the two, but then also there's like these huge differences as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so this facility was, yeah, amazing. We were, we were there for probably, oh, it must have been two and a half years or so. And the reason we moved out of that place, we were kind of ready to look for a new facility because I think year two of opening TMC, I started a kids program. And it was originally called Monkey Movement. And we changed the name to TMC Kids at one point. And like currently that program is just insane. It's so good. Like we've got 215 members just with the kids program right now. Really? Yeah, it's insane. Wow. Oh so my I gosh. have my sister to thank for that as well. So I brought her into the business about two years in. She's a professional dancer and dance teacher. And so she came in and I taught her how to teach the kids and like the programming and all that. And so over the years, she's basically taken that over and I still own a small percentage of that. But yeah, she's basically running it and I'm doing some of the marketing and teaching some classes here and there and organizing events. But she's just done so well to grow that to what it is today. And the programming, the like the, the progress that the kids are having, the way that they show up and kind of play with each other and learn all the skills is just, it's so cool. So I'm so glad that I started that up. It, it got to a point where I'd taken on, I'd said yes to too many things at that point, about two to three years in that I needed to get help. So she came in and yeah, that's all going amazing now. But the reason we moved out of that second facility was because we had noise complaints across the road. It was kind of half industrial, half residential. Mm -hmm. So there was this lady that would come over and she would like bang on the garage door. We'd have the garage door closed and we only had like, you know, like the, uh, what are they called? UE booms, just like mm -hmm. these tiny little speakers, like a little mm -hmm. portable Bluetooth speaker. Mm -hmm. So we'd have one of them playing, not like these big loud speakers with subs and stuff, tiny little speaker on nice and quiet, not heavy metal music or anything like that. Just, you know, just some like soft, um, soft music. And she would come over and just bang on the, on the door she would call council all the time and we actually got a phone call from council this is about two two and a half years into the business and they said that we're operating out of the times that were allocated so we've got each building has like their operation times and we were starting at six and supposed to start at seven in the morning so they said we're going to come over like tomorrow if you guys are starting at six again we're going to give you a six thousand dollar fine Whoa. So I was like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> and most of our members would do the 6am class and they had to do 6am because they had to go to work. So that was a huge hit on the business. I think we had, uh, must've been 60 members at that time, 60 or 70. We lost probably half our membership when that happened. <sighs> so that was just like this huge you know, wall that we came up against and we just had to deal with it and try to figure out a way around it. So at that point, we started to look for a new facility and that process took a few months, but I remember I had this like full on meltdown. I was just done. I, yeah, I, I couldn't even function. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like we've, we're trying to find this facility. We've lost 35 members all in one go. It was just insane. So, but I had such a good team around me, like the members and you know, the, the staff that we started to bring on some of the teachers. So some of the long-term staff, uh, sorry, the long-term students expressed interest in becoming teachers. So I kind of gave them the opportunity to shadow and we've still got those guys teaching today, which is absolutely amazing. So I'm really thankful for the team that we had that kind of got us through that pretty sketchy moment in TMC's kind of history. But we ended up finding this facility, the one that you currently see in Waratah, and we signed the lease and it was just go time. We just had to, you know, get all the equipment out, put it into this new facility. We had 
all hands on deck making like the handstand wall and putting the rig in and doing all the things. But that actually, that transition was pretty smooth, but I feel like it happened over like a six month period. And again, super stressful time in my life. And it's just nice now that I'm able to ask for help and also get those people in that are just so amazing that I can just fully trust them to teach the classes, to run the discovery sessions, to onboard new members. And I don't have to just rely solely on myself to just do everything. So how many people do you have now on top of your 250 kids? Yeah. So we've, well, we lost a lot. We're over, I think we're about 106 members right now for adults Mm. and 215 kids. That's the last count, but we had 135 before COVID because we had to shut down for three months. Yeah. But I'm still pretty grateful that we, you know, in Australia that it didn't, I know that it didn't hit us as hard as what it had in the States and other places in the world. You know, some, some places are, you know, had to close and had to shut down. So we had to close for three months, which is really hard on the business, but we're able to, you know, again, we lost so many members and we had to kind of slowly build it back up and it just required so much energy and time from both myself and and Jenny, the team and, and everyone. So I just, I'm so thankful that we've got the support that we had to kind of build it back up to the, to the company that it is today. And also, yeah, the vibe remained, which was really good. Like when everyone came back to the gym after those three months, it was just like, everyone was just so excited to be in there. And that was really cool for me to see that, you know, we actually are doing something that's just so amazing and, and bringing all these people together and really lighting them up. So it's just, it's just more fuel for me to, you know, keep kind of pushing and keep growing the business the way that we are. Well, first I have to say, I really dig your story from like riding a bus in Port Moody, like reading books to, to go and like learn whatever you could from Anthony, you know, having never taught anything to all of a sudden have a community of like three, almost 400 people with the kids and the adults combined is, is a pretty epic story. Yeah. It's um, kind of cool for me to, yeah, to, to express that because quite often I don't think about it, mm-hmm. but there's moments when I walk into the gym and I just kind of just pause for a moment. I just look around. I'm just like, holy shit. Like this has been a roller coaster and just such an amazing experience over these last few years. Like it's just insane. I still can't believe it. It's like, it seems like a bit of a dream. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, if you can, if you can pull off what you've pulled off with losing that second space and going through a pandemic, I'm like, you are, yeah, there's not a lot that can happen at this point where you can, where it's going to really, you know, throw you off. Yeah. I'm curious, you, you alluded to like how much like your programming and, and teaching and the, I don't know, all the pieces have changed. And I think everybody experiences that when you're kind of in a, a dynamic practice, that's like very much alive. Yeah. I'm curious what, what it looks like now. And maybe what it looks like now compared to like what it looked like when you first got back, when you got off the plane with your like two people doing their five sessions, or maybe even what it looked like in like the first space that you were in, like, you know, where, where, what does this iteration look like now from, from that programming perspective? So I guess the biggest difference is I've got a broader knowledge of movement like right now than what I did when I went back because obviously it's six years in. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to experience more teachers, more kind of learning, understanding from my own practice as well and been able to contribute uh, to TMC with that. 
So when I first started, it was very much based on like the Ido Portal method, which is still absolutely amazing. And I'm so grateful for those guys and their continued work. Like it's just absolutely insane. But what I was able to do and what I found myself doing actually was like moving kind of with that culture and explaining things exactly the way that they explain it. And I was then able to kind of like trust myself and know that there's like, I need to put myself forward as well. Like I need to be speaking from my own experience and that only comes from, yeah, from experience and from time, but I didn't have that when I first started. So I was just like, almost felt like I was just regurgitating things that other people had said. I've said, I've said this exactly. Yeah. I've said exactly what you're saying. So it's cool to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's almost like, you know, the information would come. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to say it like that. And then I would present it exactly like that. And then over the years, it's like I would dabble in a few different practices and take learnings from, from surfing and from jujitsu and from taking other workshops and from my own practice. And I'm able to then express it in a way that's really me. So that's a huge thing that's changed over the years. And also with the teachers as well. So I've actually seen this from them. So I would teach um classes like i taught all the classes in the first few years and and i didn't really have any help teaching and then slowly but surely i was getting other people in to help out and what i would see from like the students that would learn under me i would take their classes and they would be talking like me and i'm like no i want you to be yourself so you know we've had some conversations and actually said it to jenny my partner the other day that i took one of her classes recently and i said that you know, when she first started teaching, it sounded like I was talking through her, which is so bizarre for me to like, she was fully word for word, just like explaining exercises or movements in a way that I would exactly, it's like I, I was talking from her, but, um, but now she teaches and she's got her own little cues and that she's learned over the years and her own little technique and own little way of kind of bringing the vibe to the class that's uniquely coming from her and I just want to celebrate that. And I want everyone to bring that to their life and to, to all their teaching and what they're sharing. I think it's so amazing. With all the like new experiences, and I say new, like everything that's kind of gone on the last like number of years, yeah. how has your, if it has changed, how has your philosophy changed on like what a generalist is? Mm-hmm. Maybe from like what you, when you started to, to now, because I know for me, it's changed. And I, and, and I have to assume like going through what you've gone through, it, it's probably evolved a bit as well. Yeah, I haven't really thought about this, but it would be the fact that, yeah, I'm not limited to any one like culture mm-hmm. or any one sort of teaching. It's like, like a good example would be like with inside the culture, like tennis balls were a big hit, right? Like using tennis balls for everything. And I get it. But then I started juggling with juggling balls and I'm like, this is amazing. Like juggling balls feel so good and it's so much easier to, to, to use the juggling balls. Yeah. So for me, it's like, it's not limited at all. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, and I started new practices like archery. I don't even know if that comes into movement. I guess it is, but into my lifestyle. So there's things that I do now that I'm just like, I just see it and I'm like, oh, that looks fun and I'm going to do it. And I do it knowing that I'm doing it for myself. I'm not trying to like justify anything or I'm not trying to um, impress anyone in any one group. It's just like, I'm going to do this because it looks cool. And if I don't pursue it and if I don't bring it into my practice, that's okay. I'm just, I guess I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. It's like curiosity and it's, 
endless. Yeah, I think that's a, no, I really like that word because I think sometimes like, especially at the beginning and maybe you felt this, it was almost like, I don't know, the curiosity was maybe almost limited to like what other people were doing. Yeah. Um, and maybe that almost takes the curiosity away where it's almost like, well, this person has all the answers. So like the questions start to diminish. Yeah. Whereas it's like, like now curious, but it's, you've got to be in this circle here. Only right. In, don't right. Yeah. Out. Yeah, exactly. Keep your curiosity within here. Um, and now, and it's, I think it's similar to you where it's almost like, no, no, no. Like curiosity kind of is the magic, like stay curious, stay out there and just like ask the questions and like th th there's something from everybody as opposed to yeah. being like, no, no, no. These are the people who know the things and I need to stay within that box. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But not saying that those people don't know. It's like using that as well, like using all of it to like create the best lifestyle you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I dig that. Cause I, I, I've come around to think that like, I think in, you know, I think we all kind of start as like collectors maybe where you're like, Oh, here's all these movements and I'm going to start checking boxes. Yeah. I need to start checking out. Like I need the muscle up or this acrobatic movement or this piece of mobility. And I just need to start going down the list and collecting these things. And that was how I remember feeling. And now I'm like, I've come to this like much broader, more mysterious way of defining what I think a generalist is. And it's just that like the capacity to be creative and resourceful yep. to me, I'm like, broadly, that's what it is. So I'm like, well, what does it start to look like when, when that's the thing and it's not just checking boxes and sometimes it stays the same. And then some things are like, oh, well, it's just totally different at that point. I like the idea of um, not setting goals, but intentions. So that's something recently that I've been playing with. So it's not like a set goal that, you know, we put a deadline on and if we don't reach that, we feel a certain way and we're, you know, unhappy until we reach this target or this goal. We just set an intention of like just showing up and doing the work and really listening to all the parts of you when you're moving throughout the day, not even just with the movement practice. Like, and I think that, starting this movement practice and starting this gym has really opened my mind up to all these other elements that we can potentially help people with and, and to share as well. Like one thing that um, is really cool is seeing people's confidence increase. And that's not like, there's no distinct goal for that. You can't say, you know, I'm at level two confidence now and let's bring you up to level 10. It's like, it's, it's more of like a, a felt experience and then actually can see it in people as well. So that's kind of cool that even though, you know, they're not super high level and they haven't done the muscle up or they haven't done a 60 second handstand, they walk in, they walk into the gym and they look different. Like they, they walk with confidence or they, they're speaking to people that they normally wouldn't speak with. And yeah, there's just all these other layers and elements rather than just ticking off these little, you know, checkpoints or goals that you're talking about. Yeah. So what is your, I mean, I know you're dealing with like coming back from an injury. So wh what are some of the things that you're, you're playing with and working on now? You mentioned like juggling and archery and stuff like, like what, like how did, how is your time spent and, and how much of that kind of trickles into what you're teaching people? Yeah. Yeah. I guess what I'm practicing always influences the classes. Mm -hmm. And I get feedback from the other teachers, but mostly it's kind of whatever I'm into, that's what people are learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it makes sense because they see me doing it and it's, it's yeah, it's really interesting that it's, as soon as I start to, to practice something, it's like the, 
the culture at TMC is kind of influenced by that. So the juggling culture was non-existent like a year ago and I've really started to get into it. And we've got these guys that are way better jugglers than me now. We've had these juggling jams and like, it's just part of the culture now. So that's kind of cool that, you know, whatever I'm practicing reflects directly on the, on the classes, but I'm still open to other ideas. So Mm -hmm. for the teachers to share, for the students, we're always asking for feedback from those guys as well, because I just don't want to be like telling everyone what to do. I want to share some of my ideas that I've, that I feel are beneficial for my life and my physical practice. And if it works, it works. If not, we can always change it. It's super dynamic with what we're teaching and what I'm practicing as well. So generally I have a plan, like I'm, I'm working on one arm handstands at the moment and I'm getting, you know, I'd like to say fairly close because I've worked so hard on them for so long, but it's like, it's one of those things that I don't know if you, are you on the one arm journey as well? No, I, so I practice my handstand or the hand balancing practice for like probably since just before I crossed paths with you in Port Moody. Yep. And I stopped hand balancing um, during coronavirus and was like, I'm content with where this is at. But I was at a point, my best was like, I was on one arm with like one or two fingers with like little taps here and there. That was about as far as I got, but I was kind of like, I'm at peace right now. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long journey, like you would know. And I'm at the point where I'm like starting to feel really solid on like one finger on my left left arm and I'm starting to take away. I've got like a couple of eight second holds, but even then it's like, it just feels so far away. So again, I'm not like beating myself up because I don't have the one arm handstand. I'm just enjoying the practice and I'm just doing it consistently, maybe about four times a week. Um, and along with stall to press and some pulling strength as well. So just working on some general pulling strength, something else is, yeah. So the juggling normally comes up when I'm just sitting at home or in between strength sessions, if I'm not working on mobility, I'll just grab the juggling balls. Watch, I've been watching some videos recently. Uh, Taylor tries, if you are interested in learning juggling, she's got some really cool tutorials, slows it down, uses different colored balls so you can actually see what's going on. Because once you get away from these like cascade and reverse cascade, there's like the hands are switching over and like, it's just absolutely insane. So you need, need like a good teacher for that. But mm-hmm. Yeah, so the juggling comes into it, but that's just kind of like a little fun practice. Um, something just more serious that I try to schedule in would be, yeah, surfing. I try to do that a few times a week and again, archery. So just doing that once a week as well. So the flow practice is, is the last one. So acrobatics and flow. Mm-hmm. And I've just started to jump around now after having surgery two months ago. I'm just starting to get the range back in the knee and starting to feel pretty comfortable landing on it. And that's, I guess that's probably my biggest passion right now is this acrobatic and flow work. So are you, are you, are there any teachers that you're working with uh, directly or, or even kind of like from yeah, afar Neil, at the moment? Yeah. Neil. Um, so oh, what's his last name? Uh, he's the German guy. Tensner, something like that. Tensner. Oh, you completely butchered that. I'll send you a link, but yeah, he's got this amazing, um, program called finding flow and then there's a few other ones finding flow refinement and there's an acrobatics one as well but he's got these six-week programs and he's got all the different videos a lot of it i can do but then there's a lot of elements that i hadn't really worked on like pivoting um different makako entries and it's just nice to have these videos to watch and for me to have a play around with it i actually did some of it yesterday so i take some of those kind of structured 
programs and tutorials and lessons. And I, and I go through some of it and there's a few guys at TMC that are practicing with me as well, but I just like to kind of explore new movements and new ways to get in and out of all these different um, acrobatic movements that I can do. Nice. And what about the handstand? Are you, or is that something you're just working on on your own? Yeah. So like four, Oh, sorry. Yeah. So I'm training with um, Harry Williams. Mm -hmm. So I haven't got a new program. It's I probably due for a new one pretty soon, um, but I've done two different programs with him. So eight week programs. So he's helping me with a stall to press, a few strength elements, and also the one arm, which is the, it's kind of the biggest goal or the, yeah. It's like the, the, the top rung right now. It is. Yeah. So that and the flow work, you know, I just like playing with it. Like I said, I'm not too, I've never been too serious about the movement practice. Mm -hmm. um, I like to learn. I like to play. I like to be curious, but I'm not, you know, super, like I don't really nerd out on it or get too caught up in it because yeah, each week changes as well because I can have this like really nice structure where I'm hitting four handstand sessions a week and I'm doing two flow sessions and leg training as well. And then something might happen and it gets completely flipped on its head and I've got to step up and teach a bunch of classes or, you know, things happen. So it's, it's that ability to know that you've got this really cool practice and there's structure around it, but being able to be adaptable and, and kind of just let go as well. It's almost like this conquering energy of, of doing certain things and going out there and getting it within the business world and within my practice, but then also knowing that I need to surrender as well. And I can't do all the things. So just that's been a big part of my life the last six months, meditation, breath work, taking downtime, reading, writing, all of those things. Like I yeah. just, they just complement the physical practice so well. And it's not something that I ever did. Like the first few years of my movement practice, it was just go, go, go. So that's something that's really shifted. And actually it's reflected on the class now as well. So we've got a five minute kind of breath work or passive stretch or meditation right at the end of each class. So we're trying to incorporate all of that stuff. So we've got the the whole kind of spectrum like yin and yang right so we're doing all the things we're working together as a team as a community we're building individual skills and strength but then we're also taking the time to you know relax the nervous system and, and down regulate yeah do you you said that your sister um is a professional dancer do you ever kind of uh kind of play and explore some of the stuff that that she's coming from as well we have done a little bit like she was she was dancing on cruise ships. So I guess the stuff that I'm interested in now is more like kind of um, Broadway type dancing and ballet. The, the stuff that I'm interested in is more, I guess, like the contemporary dance, like more of the weirder sort of, you know, I'm with like, you. Like, yeah, but so, you should but you should really test the TMC crew and then one day and show show up and just start doing like Broadway style dance. Well, she does do that, too. So Ange actually does teach. So she teaches on a Thursday and there's like they've like they've developed this like little crew that's just like dedicated dance crew and they do like hip hop or contemporary or, you know, whatever it is. And they just come and they learn a routine over six weeks. And there's a dedicated group that just absolutely love that. But for me, it's more about transitions and floor work and, and acrobatic type movements, more, you know, the contemporary dance style. So yeah, she has taught me a few times, but I don't know if it would work out too well getting her to teach me so i'd seek out other teachers uh -huh. my dream is to um and i don't know how things are going to work out with like covid and everything and travel and vaccines i really want to be in berlin for the b12 festival this year i don't know if you're familiar with it oh. 
it's like a big, I think it's like a month long dance festival. And, you know, like great teachers doing workshops there. Like um, I think um, Winston Reynolds will be teaching there who I recently got turned on to. And Tom Wexler, I think is gonna be teaching and maybe performing there. And I don't know, it's like, oh, how amazing. That's really like what I find super fascinating right now. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. We're supposed to have Tom Wexler come out to Australia, but he couldn't get a visa. Oh, yeah. Ewing, yeah, because we sold like, I think it was like 30 or 40 tickets. The, the event was sold out. And then there was a few weeks out of the event. He was like, hey, got bad news. Like, I can't come. So at some point, I'd love to get him out. I've done like a one-on-one coaching session with him online and just watched his videos. And yeah, he's absolutely incredible. Oh man. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to connect with them a few times. We did some jujitsu together. That's how we met. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I've been doing a little bit of online stuff with him recently and yeah. And taking his courses. I, I just think his approach is really fascinating. It's like this really, I don't know. I read this book called free play, which uh, I, I feel like I recommend constantly, constantly. Um, but he has this line in there where he's like, you know, techniques are there for us to play with, not within. And whenever, when I read that, I remember thinking a lot about how Tom approaches movement, you know, it's like, I think sometimes with movement, people are like, oh, there are these techniques and, and we have to work with just those techniques. And we play in like the technique box and and it's more interesting when we're like, oh, well, the techniques are there for us to kind of like, I don't know, flavor the meat per se. Yeah. Yeah. He's just so artistic with the way that he describes everything. And like a lot of it just goes over my head as well. Like I read some of his posts. I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> so deep in it, but it's, it's just incredible. I'm just so drawn to his style of style of teaching and the way that he's like, yeah, just dives deep into these topics. And I think he was talking about like, I guess it's what you're talking about, like the formless, mm-hmm. like there is no forms or something like that. Is that what you're talking about? Maybe, yeah, kind of like in that spirit. But, yeah. I, you know, it's like this, you know, having done a lot of the stuff with him, it's like, oh, we'll, we'll play with these tools for like imagination, right? And, and allows us to kind of surprise ourselves with what we can find in our movement that is the things that are the undefined. Mm-hmm. And then playing with like, well, let's take some defined things and let them kind of intersect with like the things that you have discovered that are undefined. I'm sure he's going to listen to this and he's going to be like, uh, you, you don't know what that's you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's my takeaway. Um, yeah. And that's what I think is really, is really beautiful because I, I watch people and I've watched myself and in, in, at other times and thought like, Oh, I'm just doing one named thing after another. Like here's one defined movement. Here's another defined movement. It's just a sequence of defined movements that are kind of like manipulated. And that was to me, like what it was. Mm-hmm. But the idea that like, oh, well, there's a rhythm here. Like there's like a, an ebb and a flow between the the defined and the undefined. And that's a really like magical discovery and thing to like get to play with. And that's when I'm like, oh, well, that's what it looks like when someone walks into the world and they just start being playful and doing something at any place at any time. You're like, well, that's what that thing looks like or that's where so- that it comes from. 
it's so hard to not go to those default movements as well. I try to do it as well. Like just kind of just flowing around and you do have those tendencies just because the body knows those positions, right? So if you find yourself in a familiar position, you're like, Oh, I can do this, 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 this. And I think over time, you know, it's just, it's a really interesting topic, but I think, yeah, over time you develop all of these different movements Mm-hmm. And like in the beginning, maybe you can enter a certain movement to so say like a lunge position, you can do three movements from that position. Eventually, if you keep practicing, you'll probably be able to do like a hundred. But then that still is like you were saying before, it's like there's, there's still known movements. So it's like, how do you take that and just kind of, it's almost like trying to forget what you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, like enter with a blank slate and just start like finding it. And that, that's why, you know, imagination and and playfulness to me are such like unique and beautiful tools because it kind of facilitates that like discovery of the things that might not have words. There's a um, dance studio in uh, Newcastle called Catapult. So I've done a bunch of contemporary classes there, not since I did my knee surgery, but I'm going to go back next week and well, they're going to put on a performance in six months. So I'm going to be training with them every Monday night and they're going to put some performance on. So that could be cool. And you're going to be performing. Yeah. So there's, there's a professional group and they perform all the time, like in civic theater in Newcastle and out outside and all these different events, all the professional dancers, they come up from Sydney, they have someone kind of put it all together or Melbourne. Um, but what they're doing, cause they've got these classes just for kind of just your average person who's just, you know, just practicing and they're not a professional. So I'm going to join that and we're going to do this performance in six months, which should be pretty cool. But a few things that I've learned at Catapult is like you were saying before, like just the Im- improvisation, I guess it's really cool to the imagination. I think you said it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about just kind of taking an idea and just playing with that idea. And when I do that, I try not to do the movements that I already know. Like I try to get into all these like weird, funky positions and try to flow in and out of it. Like an example would be like, you're moving through honey is one <laughs> of the examples. So, you know, you just, so you can't move fast. You're just moving really slow and you're not trying to do monkey flips and cartwheels and this kind of stuff. So you're just able to just kind of explore all these different ranges using that quality. And that's just like one example of like how you can kind of forget what you already know, but it's still so hard. Right. It's like, that's, that's like this interesting way to like facilitate surprise and discovery. It's like, you know, you, you, are you're given, you know, a bit of like a, a game or an intention and just like, Oh, we'll explore what's around there. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well now there's all this new information that I can't put words to, but it's like, it's there because now it's happened. Yeah. Right. It's a, I I think it's so, I don't know, beautiful and exciting. And again, it's like, I think it's a a valuable thing for people to to think about and explore because I think with all things that start to become popular, we start kind of putting it into boxes. Like I think about kind of our earlier part of the conversation, like CrossFit, you know, my understanding is before CrossFit got huge, it was very counterculture Mm -hmm. and people had to like seek things out and do the research and everything wasn't in a box. And then they were like, well, here are the movements and all the movements started to fill into like the box. And then of course they started to name the gym boxes and you know, you, everything yeah. could fit in the box. Um, and sometimes I feel that way when I look at like movement as well, where it's like, oh, now we're starting to, it's starting to, they're starting to become a bit of a box that things started to land into yeah. and, and just be like, oh, you know, don't remember the, we're inventing the box. The box yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. there to oh, begin wait, with. Yeah, we're creating this box and, and, you know, maybe it fits sometimes, maybe it doesn't, but just like, remember, like, we don't have to have a box. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. I, f- I feel like that's kind of like the structure and maybe most businesses and, and ideas kind of take off when you have like really good structure, when it's well-defined would be a good way to put it. So the people of the outer, you know, like there's the, the inner, like the early adopters or the innovators, they kind of, they get it and it doesn't have to be explained so much and they'll just do the thing and they'll do the tinkering, they'll do the research, they'll just do their thing. But when it comes to like marketing to like the broader community, um, it's, it's kind of like, it has to be defined Otherwise it's a bit wish-washy and then no one will kind of know exactly what they're doing and then people won't buy into it. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of layers to that as well. Yeah. It makes me, and I've mentioned this numerous times because it's one of my favorite things I heard. Um, but I talked to someone for the podcast. He was a, a teacher at the jujitsu school that I was going to in New York. His name's Paul Schreiner. It was, you know, months ago now. And again, I'm probably going to, I always say I'm like going to butcher whatever he said, and it's probably not what he meant by it. But he was like, you know, the art, the art of jujitsu is not the techniques. The art of jujitsu is everything that happens in between the techniques. Mm-hmm. And, but I see it in jujitsu where it's like, you still have to sell people on like, oh, well today you're going to come in and learn an arm bar and you're going to learn this and you're going to learn that and give the name things. But inevitably you still have to roll for 30 minutes at the end. And that's really where you learn the art because like you can't learn about pressure and you can't learn about all those like distance and timing and stuff through just like um, a technical instruction. It's like, you have to just start. It's like you got to do the practice to kind of see how that works live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's like, you know, when I see really interesting approaches to movement, there's like some amount of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to have the structure. I think it's so important. It's the same with our lives as well. You got to have structure, but then you got to have that that kind of erratic or curiosity. You know, the, the things that can't you can't quite put words on them. But then you've got to have this other side. You got to have this like balance. I think when it comes to both the practice and your life. Right. Yeah. To me, the tragedy is just that sometimes, and maybe it's just super like Western mind of like, oh, everything has to have words, and like the language right. is like this great invention that captures everything, and like actually it captures very little. It's kind of nice that, yeah, you can't put words on certain things. And I'm discovering that at the moment, like doing my meditations and doing some writing. There's like, I get really stopped sometimes. I'm like, I just can't put words to that. Like the trust that I have or the intuition that I had to start the facility and to grow it in the direction that it grew. Like I couldn't, there's no way I could, you know, plan that. Right. Like a deeper place that doesn't have a word to describe it. Right. Well, that's why art and poetry exists, right? Because like words can't describe everything. So like we have this other way of expressing to kind of capture the complexities. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you write? What are you, what, what are your writings? Um, it's only really a, quite a recent practice. Um, basically. Yeah. I'm just, I just get up in the morning. I've got this practice. If I had said this like six months ago, like or I told myself six months ago that I was going to be doing this practice. I'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> These Oracle cards, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to predict the future, but it was just for me, it was an idea that I had that could be really cool for creative writing. Mm-hmm. So I've got these cards and they've just, there's like 70 of them or something like that. So I just fan them out. I have a coffee in the morning. I sit down, I choose a card and then it'll just give me like a word. It's like fire or it's like, something right and then i kind of 
sit with that and I meditate and I think about what could that mean for myself right now? What does that mean in my life? Mm -hmm. And I just start to write and then I read the book and it gives, you know, the descriptions on like what it could be, but I just find it really cool to kind of spark. I don't always do it, but it's just like a cool way to spark an idea in my mind. And it kind of can take me in like different directions. Or I remember a certain time in my life when I did have this fire or a certain person I feel needs fire or like, do you know what I mean? Like there's just like these, these ideas that start to spring from this one word. I think it's brilliant. I think yeah. that this like <laughs> writing game is brilliant. Where did, did you come up with this or is this yeah, something that came up with it? Yeah. So I, I read quite a bit and I have like these, I can't grab them here. They're a little, they're on the other side of the room, but I've got these like little post-it tabs and I, you know, every book that I'm reading is all, or I've read is all tabbed up with like pages of things that I want to remember. And I like mark things that I want to remember. And one time my wife was like, Oh, like, what are you going to do with all these tabs and these books? I was like, I don't know, but I just know that at some point, like I want to be able to go back and remember the things that I thought were important. You write on them. Like you write a little note or you just, it's like a bookmark. It's like book. a, well, it's, it's like a bookmark. And then I, you know, either with a pen or a pencil, I like mark the part, like the quote or the paragraph that I want to like remember. And every once in a while I'll scribble something in that, like, that I think matters. But I, I you know, her saying like, oh, like, well, what are you going to do with that? Made me think like, yeah, like I should do something with that. So similar to you, because I was, you know, got really into writing my blog. I was like, what if I just every morning grab one of the books open up to the to one of the pages that I've tabbed, looked at, look at whatever I quoted and like pull that quote out and put it at the top of the page and just start writing from that as like the prompt, yep. um, which is super similar to yours. And some of the stuff will never see the light of day, but some of it I've gone back to and been like, oh, well, look at, there's like a jumping off point for something that belongs here, or maybe something that belongs in the blog or an idea, or I see that it connects to something else, but like, it's very similar to what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote a post, um, I think it was yesterday and it was about play and it was about timelessness and how we grew up on this property. Well, we had a bushland that backed onto our place or this uh, woods and we would come home from school, drop our bag and just run in. I can't remember what card I drew, but it just sparked this like memory of me as a child putting my bag down, going into the bush, like maybe some of my mates would come or my brother would be with me. We'd be climbing trees, like making bow and arrows. We'd be catching lizards and snakes and just doing all this crazy swimming in the creek, um, building cubby houses. And I was just like, it just gave me the idea. I think it was time, the card that I pulled and how structured my life is right now because you know people rely on me to turn up and to, and to teach and to run classes and to do certain things as like an adult and a businessman needs to do. But then I was like, oh, this was so amazing when I was a kid to have this idea or this kind of sensation of timelessness where we would go into the bush and we would literally just spend hours just doing whatever with no goal in mind. We would just be having fun and being curious. And I just thought that that was so beautiful. And I would really love to bring some of that energy back into my life right now. So what, so how do you, how have you proposed to yourself to, to bring some of that in or have you yeah, gotten so that just far having yet? Unstructured time. So uh, I don't have anything booked in today. I'm going to go to archery tonight, but I don't have anything booked in after this conversation. So mm -hmm. I just asked Jenny, she's coming back um, from lunch soon. And I said, let's just go for a walk. Let's just go for a walk down, down at the beach. Like the beach is like five minutes away. So we'll go and walk on the rocks. We'll just like explore the rock pools and like, 
I don't know, just do whatever. Let's just go, no time frame. Let's just go for a walk and just see what happens. Maybe do some handstands, play around, build something, who knows? So yeah. that was just like the first kind of idea or first kind of situation that we're going to put ourselves in to kind of bring some of that energy into our lives as, as adults now, because it was so amazing. Like thinking back on those times. Yeah. Where it's like the only thing that like gave it any, the day, like some sort of time perspective. Like I remember like you'd, I didn't have keys or a phone or anything. You'd just like go out the door and just like be with people. And then like, if the sun started going down, you'd be like, Oh, I guess, I guess something is, something has changed. So that's, that's what I said at the end of the post. I said, there was no time frame. We didn't even know what time was. It was just something that our parents would talk about and say, we need to be on time or blah, blah, blah. We didn't care. We would just be out in the bush and they would yell out. It would get dark and they would just like call out our names and we would just like run back to the house. Oh man, I love that. So will you go like no cell phone or anything? You'll just like leave it all and just yeah, go? Yeah, I think we'll just leave it here. But like, like we did it, um, we just went for a walk the other day, but we had our phones and we're taking photos. But I just feel like today it's just going to, let's just go on a little adventure. Man, I really dig that. That's kind of like how I feel being here and like the time when I kind of practice now is like, it feels a little bit more of this timelessness that you describe. Um, Cause so much for us has changed with COVID and like my, my time commitments are different that I'll go out to the park and I'll just be like, I'll just be like jamming and going and going. And then all of a sudden like three or four hours will go by and someone will come by and want to chat for a second. I'm just like, Oh, cool. We're just going to chat. And I like, don't have a watch on. We just like go. And then I get home and I'm like, Oh, I missed lunch and all the things, but it's like, it, it hasn't been that way in such a long time that I've, I'm almost very satisfied with that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you don't have to get anything done. Like there's no outcome. It's just like being in the moment, it's being fully present is what it is. And that is just so beautiful to be in that moment and just be like, there's nothing else matters. And for someone to walk by and for you to stop and have a conversation and who knows how long it goes for, it doesn't matter. But then there's times in my life where I'm say I'm in the gym and I like see someone in passing and I stop and they want to have a chat. And I'm like, oh, hey, like I've got to go. And I, and I don't give them the time because I don't have the time because I've set deadlines on, you know, my time for that day and I've got scheduled appointments. So, and I think that they're both important. I'm not saying that we should just like throw everything in the bin and just like, just do whatever, but just have a think about it and, and try to bring those, those moments back into our lives now as adults. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the, the, the technique thing. Like we need both technique and non-technique the same way that we need both structure and like non-structure, you know, or like work and rest. Um, because we just have a tendency to like lean hard in that first direction for like everything. Right. Definitely. Like same way it's probably the Western world. It's like everything has to have a, a a name to it. It has to be, you have to be able to define it specifically, Mm -hmm. but then there's, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's the other side too, like the two polar opposites. I always try to do that with everything that I do. That's a a huge point in my life to try to flow between these two different things and, and look at things from other perspectives as well. Even like things like politics and that kind of stuff. Like I'm not fully into politics, but I do follow a bunch of pages on Instagram, like us politics and all these different things just to see the views of like this side and this side. And then just kind of like, just to kind of get an understanding of everyone's views. I think that's super important. Yeah. Instead of being like, you know, black and white, everything is right or wrong or in this like, yeah, that space. Yeah. I dig that, man. I feel like, so I, I spoke to Soichi maybe a month or two ago. Oh, yeah. I haven't listened to that podcast. I'll, I'll definitely get onto that for sure. Oh, she's, she's so great. But now I feel like after talking to you, I'm like, I don't know. The moment uh, Americans are allowed to come to Australia, whenever that is, like 
five years down the road. Uh, now I feel like uh, this has to happen. Yeah, if you can come to Australia, that would be awesome. We'd love to have you. Yeah, I'll get the, I'll get whatever the longest visa I can have is, whatever that is. It might be twelve months. I don't know. Like we could get two years, but that was Canada. I don't think I could get a. We were actually thinking about the states at one point, but we couldn't get a. I think we had to have some sort of sponsorship to get, and like an a visa for the for the states. So it was just so easy to get Canadian. So we just did a few trips down into the states. So with a Canadian passport, maybe I or I could have Canadian citizenship. Maybe I could come to Australia and be with there. The longer. Canadian one, it would be easier for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, then I'm going to look into that and maybe make look this happen that. sooner than later. So yeah. if people want to like uh, connect with you and and take classes and and all the things, what what are what are the ways to do it? Yeah. So we've got a like if you're in Newcastle, we actually have a lot of people traveling through as well. So if you if you're ever doing that, if you're listening to it and you and you're going to come through Newcastle. Uh, just stop in and do a class with us. Just send us an email on info at themovementcollective.net and the website's the same as well. So www.themovementcollective.net. Uh, we've got a free discovery session if you are in town and want to sign up for a membership. So you just come in, we kind of show you around the gym. That's kind of like our onboarding process to show you, you know, what the classes are like. We, we get an understanding of like, are the classes going to be suitable for you as well? So that's kind of our process to, um, to get you started. And if you want to reach out to me personally, probably best place is Instagram. So Rod J Cooper, just send me a, a message about, you know, anything we've spoken about or about the gym. It actually had me thinking too, like when we were doing this conversation, because I didn't really know too much about your, um, your uh, business, like um, Brooklyn Movement or Movement Brooklyn. Which one is it? Movement Brooklyn. And other people that own gyms around the world, like I'd love to just have conversations and to start some sort of, maybe it's a group or just like, you know, sharing information because there's so many lessons that I've learned over these last six years that I'm, you know, that I could share with people that have just, maybe they're just starting up or, you know, people have probably got a million lessons that they can share with me. So yeah, just have me thinking, I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but starting something where the gym owners, you know, the, the people that are running spaces can communicate and share this information so we can all connect and kind of grow together. So that's going to happen in the future. I don't know what it looks like yet though. Oh, I love that idea. Let me know if there's any way that I can uh, help yeah. uh, facilitate that. Cause I would definitely jump in. That sounds like a really great idea. Cause cool. I think sometimes people feel like they're on their own little islands and Yes. With that collaboration and, and everything, I think it could, I don't know, open the conversation in, in important ways. Yeah. Yo, this was fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm jealous of the walk you're about to go have on the beach. Um, <laughs> but hopefully, uh, you know, sometime in the near future, I'll be out there. And then, um, yeah, man, uh, I know we have to do some weird scheduling to make this happen because you're in Australia and I'm all the way over here. But um, you know, let's chat again. It doesn't have to be recorded next time. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you for having me on the on the podcast. Dude, my pleasure. I will talk to you soon. See ya.